Hey, I'm Pastor Sean. I want to thank you so much for checking out our, our website and our sermons online. And uh, we are so glad you're making use of these for your spiritual growth. And, and, uh, but we do want to encourage you. We, we believe that uh, our online ministry, our online sermons are a supplement to the local church. And so we really hope that uh, you and the community you live in will find a local church, a local church that believes the Bible, teaches the Bible regularly, and applies it to your life. And so uh, if you live in our community, we'd love to have you visit here in Yorktown. We're in 101 Village Avenue. And uh, we have three service times, 8, 9.30, and 11. And so if you don't have a home church, I hope you'll give us a try at one of our service times. We're beginning a new six-week series this fall, uh, going through the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that I was really convicted about recently as I read through the Gospels is, is how much time Jesus spent in prayer. So here's the Son of God and spent hours and hours each day uh, seeking the will of His Heavenly Father, communing with His Heavenly Father. And, and so I wanted to take us as a church through uh, the Lord's Prayer where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. I want us to be a people that recognize both prayer to be the fuel of the gospel and an opportunity to commune and be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. So I, pray, I hope that you'll join us for this six-week series, When You Pray. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. Thank you. I was making sure you're out there. Good morning. Great, great to see you. I just realized I did my notes all sideways and backwards, so this could be fun. All right, I'm going to be doing this like Hebrew, left to right. All right, here we go. All right to left. Here we go. Let's dive in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. We are in the middle of a series uh, called, entitled, When You Pray. And the anticipation is that as a Christian that you're a person of prayer, you're a person that the discipline is, is growing and you're, you're becoming more and more a, a person of prayer. And, and, and I hope that you submit many of your life decisions in prayer. I, I hope that, that communication with our Creator is a regular part of your disciplines and a regular part of your life. And, uh, and we're doing this six-week series uh, together in community, and uh, we've asked all of you to be in a small group. And so if you're not yet in a small group, you haven't made that a part of this journey, I, I hope that you'll do it, okay? Uh, we're actually, this is the beginning of the halfway mark, so you can still join a small group, right? You can go out to the, to the uh, welcome desk, and you can get a menu, uh, and you can be a part of our small groups, okay? Find one that fits your time. There's a, a menu of times and, and peop, uh, groups that kind of, uh, affinity groups, if you're looking for something to kind of surround your life, there is one available to you. Please, please, please be in a group, okay? I was thinking as we look at Matthew 6.10 here this morning about the many big, I would, I would think in my life, big decisions that, that I've prayed through and given particular attention in my life as I was making a particular decision. You know, I, I, and I'll list a couple, right? I remember when my wife and I got married. I mean, when you get married, it's a lifetime commitment and and, and so it was a decision that I took seriously, and I, I took a lot of time to pray about that. I asked others in my, my life to pray about that, and, and it was a, a decision that, you know, I bathed in prayer. I asked for God's wisdom. I asked for God's counsel in who I should marry. I, I remember uh, when I was a young man, and I was looking to pastor a church, and actually um, there was a church in this community uh, called Bay Rivers Community Church. It was a church of about 100-ish, and they were looking for a pastor, and they had offered me a, the position to be 
the senior pastor, and at the same time, I had uh, received um, the support and the opportunity to plant a church in my hometown, uh, not far from where I grew up. And I, I had these two wonderful opportunities to either start a church or pastor an existing church. And, and, and I remember praying that through and, and asking, Lord, what is your will in this? How, how do I know your will? And, and how do I decide, you know, timing? And is this the place for me. And so I remember praying that through. And, and so my wife and I and, and the, the church, Bay Rivers, decided to call me as the pastor and we decided to accept. And so we took this small church called Bay Rivers Community Church. And within six months, uh, we dissolved that church and merged with another church in the community uh, called Tidewater Community Church. And those two churches merged and, 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 um, and we started Coastal Community Church, you know, and, and one of my elders began to call me the Terminator. It only took you six months to terminate this church and start a new one. And, and that was bathed in prayer, a ton of prayer of a lot of people like, Lord, is this what you're doing? I mean, is this your will? And, and, and the overflow of that is, you know, you guys are a part of it today, of that decision and, and being bathed in prayer. And I remember when uh, in, in we were in our old building and, and we were kind of maxing out that space and we felt like it was limiting what God wanted to happen through the ministry of Coastal Community Church. And, and this building became available for purchase and we began to pray through that. And it was a significant step for the church and, and for me as a pastor. And, and man, we prayed through that. We labored over that in prayer. Like, Lord, is this your will? And I know for you, man, there's many times in your life, you could probably list probably a half a dozen like key markers, spiritual markers and life decision markers markers that you have to pray through and you have to ask the Lord, is this what you would have? And, and so this morning we, we transitioned. So last week we looked at the riverbanks of how we address God in prayer as intimate as father, yet as separate as in heaven and encompassed in holiness. And, and, and so when we enter the presence of God in prayer, we enter with these riverbanks. And this morning, I think, as the Lord teaches his disciples to pray, now we kind of see the flow of the river. Like, what is it that we're to be focusing our attention and our prayers upon when we, when we do pray? And then I hope to take this and kind of intersect it with your life practically. Like, how do, how do I pray about specific and particular things in my life? And so this morning, Look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, where Jesus said, now this is the Sermon on the Mount, and in Luke 11, he teaches the same prayer when his disciples come and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Matthew 6, 10, Jesus continues teaching, and he says, your, when you pray, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's park for a minute in the idea of your kingdom come. The focus or the attention of your prayers should be on the coming of the kingdom of God. That should be the focus of your prayers. I think a lot of times we approach God with kind of a laundry list of needs, right? It's a grocery list, I, you know, or wants, God this, God this, God this. But the focus of even that laundry list needs to be the idea of the coming of the kingdom of God. And so the idea is that a disciple or someone, that if you're here this morning, you're a disciple, you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, you pray for the program of God's to be fulfilled. That's his kingdom. What he's about, what his program, what his kingdom is about, that, that's the focus of your prayers. 
which would be, and so I'm, I'm going to kind of lead you this morning, okay? I'm gonna, you're going to nibble your way to the, to the end of this prayer. I'm, I'm assuming that you're going to take the next step with me and accept the next step with me and accept the next step with me, okay? And so, and so the prayer of the kingdom is that the rule and reign of Jesus Christ would be in the hearts of all men, so what it means for the kingdom to come. We're going we're gonna to unpack it and show you some text about that. And so the pursuits and the prayers of, the, of a disciple is that Jesus would reign in the hearts of men. That's a general term, men, right? Men and women. They would reign individually. There's, there's people in your life that I hope you're praying for that the ultimate prayer would be, that, you know what, they don't know Christ yet. I, I pray that, that Christ would reign. It's that your heart beats for the things that Christ beats for, things like holiness and humility and righteousness and peace and goodness and joy and justice. These are the things that a disciple prays for because these are what happens when the rule and reign of God is sovereign over all. And so the kingdom of God, it it spreads person to person through the person, through the ministry and through the preaching of the gospel. So here's where I'm leading you this morning. I want you to hear this and I'm just admitting it up front, but, but this is where I come down. Okay, so the kingdom of God is spread person to person through the rule and reign of Christ, which happens through the submission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which happens through the ministry of the local church. This is why I'm so passionate about the local church. The local church is in the process through the preaching of the gospel of bringing God's kingdom to earth. God doesn't have another plan. Now, the church is not an entity out there. You guys know that. You know how passionate about, I am about that. I, I, I'm passionate about, you know, I, get, I know I get spun up about some weird things sometimes, right? But this is one of my weird, quirky things. I'm passionate about not calling this room a sanctuary because God doesn't live here. Now, this is where we gather for corporate worship. The church, you and I gather corporately to sing. That's why I'm passionate about not designating even the prayer room. Listen, we have a designated place for prayer coastal, but God doesn't live in that room, and God doesn't live in this room. He lives in the hearts of man through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we repent of our sins, and we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we, this church building houses various ministries that draw us more and mold us and shape us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's why I'm passionate about you being a part of the local church. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're not yet a member of this church, that's a head scratcher to me. If you've been attending for a long time and you're like, man, I, you know, I'm just kind of an attender. And I know a lot of times people think they're members when they've just sat here for a long time. You're not a member. We have a very specific and intentional process and we want you to be a member. And our next membership class is November 11th. And you put that, let me know if you're interested in coming. But listen, the reason I get spun up and the reason I'm passionate about all this is because the local church that, that faithfully teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the rule and reign of God in the hearts of man, is what God is doing here on planet Earth. You with me? So I want to encourage you. And be, be, be a part of your local church. Be in corporate worship. Be in a small group. Find a place of service in your local church. All of this is a part of what God is doing here on planet Earth. So how does, how does the kingdom of God come to earth? How does that happen? Number one, ready? It happens through conversion. 
happens through conversion. When the heart of a man that is in rebellion to the things of God is humbled and repents of their sin and is converted to be a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a change. And by the way, this is, this is the work of God through the Holy Spirit alone. It's not anything that's earned. It's a gift of God's grace to be converted. John chapter 3, verse 3. And let me give you a little context before we look at this verse. There's this Pharisee, this teacher, religious teacher, who comes to Jesus at night. He sneaks out, okay, because he doesn't want his buddies to know what he's up to. And he sneaks out in the middle of the night, and he approaches Jesus, and he says, listen, we know you're of God, we can, I can see that, but, but tell me, like, what's really going on? And Jesus answers him in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answers him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? What's it say there, church? What, what happens? You cannot see what? Kingdom of God. So if we're going to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, right? He's saying you can't even see, you can't recognize what's going on unless you're born again, unless there's conversion in your, this is spiritually speaking, right? And so if you're here this morning and you're not yet a believer, right? And you're like, why did these people get all spun up? Why did they get so excited during the song? Like, like it's a spiritual thing. And Jesus is saying, you can't even see the spiritual kingdom of God unless you're first born again, unless there's a spiritual rebirth in your heart that is the work of the Holy Spirit alone. Some of you in this room, man, you, you've been, you're not yet a believer. There's some of you in this room, maybe you've been coming to church your whole life, but you, you haven't been converted yet. You, it's, for you, church has been like some kind of religious, spiritual checkbox. But you really don't see the kingdom of God and what God is doing and you're not going to see the spiritual things of God until you're spiritually alive. Listen, it's why, you know, on November the 19th, when we do baptism and we're going to celebrate people to stand up here and say, you know what, I used to live for myself, but I'm now dead to myself and I'm dead to my sin and I'm alive to the things of God. That's what baptism is. It's an outward profession of an inward commitment. And man, we're going to celebrate that. And if you remember, I preached on this. When I preached on the gift of tongues, I said, one of the things that God, uh, Paul is rebuking in 1 Corinthians 14 is that this church in Corinth was highlighting a particular spiritual gift instead of, verse chapter 15, instead of celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and when someone's converted. Listen, a conversion of, is the work of the Spirit, is the miracle we should celebrate. Yes? Only me, right? Come on, guys. Wake up. And when the, when the work of the Spirit converts a soul, and if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you know the Holy Spirit. There was a time when you were dead and the Spirit of God made you alive to the things of God. And suddenly it was like the scales fell off and you saw the kingdom, yes? Well, thank you. Spiritual, spiritual awakening is conversion. And then what's the overflow of the spiritual awakening? It's repentance, and I should have put here belief, okay? So put that in your notes, repentance and belief. Repentance and belief, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after Jesus was arrested, I mean, I'm sorry, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, I want you to see the close connection here of the gospel, so you don't think I'm making this up, and the kingdom of God. 
And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. He's proclaiming the gospel. By the way, if you're new here and you're like, what in the world does gospel mean? Gospel means good news. The good news is man deserves the wrath of God, but by God's grace and by the sending of his only son, we can, God has loved us in Christ, okay? And so the good news is we can be restored repentance and belief, and we can be converted and be in right relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. The good news to us is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of God, and he's saying this, the time is fulfilled, and what? The kingdom of God is at hand. So what do you need to do? You need to repent and do what, church? Believe. By the way, one of the things that I do frequently, you guys have been under my teaching a long time, you hear this over and over and over and over. I I don't ever present the gospel of Jesus Christ with God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not the gospel. I've been doing a personal study in Revelation this I'm going to probably take a year to do it, but I, you know, I'm doing it on my journaling time, and I got to the, second, the letter to the seven churches, and I got to the church of Smyrna, okay? And the church of Smyrna, God says, listen, you're about to be persecuted. Jesus says, you're about to be persecuted for 10 days. Some of you are going to be persecuted to the point of death. I want you to cling in perseverance to the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus rose from the dead, and you're going to get a crown of life. Trust in that. And as I read that, as I was journaling, I was like, man, that doesn't sound a whole lot like God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, now let me translate that for you, because I do believe that. But here's what I believe. God's got a wonderful plan for your existence, which is beyond you. The Bible says your life is just a small part of your existence. And he does have a wonderful plan for your future in Christ. And it's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And we need to keep our mind on that, okay? So sometimes, sometimes in this little time called a vapor, according to the scripture, sometimes we're blessed. We get to make a lot of money. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have health problems. Sometimes loved ones around us die unexpectedly. The list goes on and on and on and on of the pains that we experience. But in Christ, man, uh, when you're in the kingdom, okay, there is a future that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's going to be amazing. With me? And so when I present the gospel, thank you. And when I present the gospel, I present it, I present it as Jesus presented it. It's repent and believe. So when you're converted, the Holy Spirit wakes you up to your sin. And you get woken up to the holiness of God, which we experienced last week. You go, man, I'm, I don't come just a little bit short. I come, I, what I deserve is the complete wrath of God and, and so your heart is now awakened and converted by the Holy Spirit, which allows you to repent of your sin and believe. And believe in what? The person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you would say, yes, I'm a Christian, but you're still trifling with sin, there's a particular sin in your life, then there's one of two that you can't seem to overcome. There's one of two things going on there, I think. I hope I'm accurate in this, but I think I am. There's one of two things. Either you haven't surrounded yourself with enough Christian community. In other words, you haven't, left enough, not, you haven't let enough other believers into the situation to help you overcome it, or you really don't hate your sin all that much, and you're not yet converted, Right? That's the only two things I can figure out. 
And so you repent. You say, you know what? I was going, repentance means 180 degree turn. I was going this way. I, I now I've been awakened to the holiness of God, the character of God. I, I've been converted by the gift of the Holy Spirit. I hate my sin. I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to believe in the person, which means God, Jesus is the son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died the death on the cross that I deserve. And the, that was his person, is the son of God and his work is that he lived the perfect life. He died the death that I deserve. And he rose again from the grave, authenticating his claims of being the son of God. And I believe believe that his payment was sufficient to cover my sin. And when I believe in him, his righteousness by grace through faith that's now credited to me, that I can now enter the presence of a holy God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? That's the gospel. And so the kingdom, how does it come to earth? Conversion, repentance and faith. And when, we, when we're converted and we, and we repent and believe, guess what? We begin to value the kingdom. The kingdom becomes, becomes our all-consuming value. We don't settle for the things of the world anymore. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus taught in a parable, is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covers it up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. And the parable of the, of the, the, parable of the pearl of great price, Jesus goes on to say, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in, sur- in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went, sold all he had and he bought it. Here's what Jesus is teaching. There's a, here's the story, right? A man goes, he journeys across the field. He finds a great treasure in the field. He knows he can't take the treasure because he doesn't own the field. That would be stealing. So what does he do? He realizes, man, once I purchase this field, I'm gonna be wealthy beyond all my imagination. So he sells everything he has, right? And he goes and he purchases the field, yes? Is he stealing? No. Is he giving anything up? No. Why? Because once he purchases the field, he's gonna have everything, Yes? And Jesus said, this is how we need to view the kingdom of heaven. Here's what we do as Christians. Well, I'm giving up, you know, I'm giving up, my, giving up some money. I'm giving up some of my time, you know, and I'm giving up all the unrighteousness of the world. That looks so fun. And we kind of whine our way through life as Christians. What are we doing? When you value the kingdom, you say, man, my life is a vapor. I'm going to do everything I can to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ till now, until God puts me in the grave, knowing that there's a future heaven forever and ever and ever. It's going to be like this field that's going to blow my mind, Right? So we pray and we understand and we have this high value of the things of the kingdom. Number four, how does the kingdom come to earth? Well, we're a part of advancing the kingdom. We're a part of advancing the kingdom. You and I are a part of advancing the kingdom through the local church when we fulfill the commissioning of Jesus Okay, now, Matthew 28 is what we often refer to as the Great Commission. Now, Matthew 28 doesn't use the word the kingdom of God, but what it does do is it bookends the command with the rule and the reign of Christ as the king of the kingdom. Okay? So in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and he said to them, what's he say? He doesn't start with go. He doesn't start with make disciples. He doesn't start with evangelism. He lets everybody know all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm in charge. My kingdom is now and my kingdom is still coming, okay? But I'm fully in charge. So as disciples, here you go, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the passion of a disciple, 
who is passionate to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Man, I want to make sure that I'm a part of disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It means that as a believer, you should be more excited about the church of North Korea spreading than America winning a war. Yes? I want you to digest that for a minute. And I hope the church of Jesus Christ is doing and great things, which, again, I'm not, the, 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 the scripture's clear that the government bears the sword, but we should be cautious when we go to war, understanding there could be brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side, yes? And we're passionate about all nations. And what are we doing? We're baptizing them in this Trinitarian understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're teaching them the word of God to observe all that I've commanded you. And then Jesus bookends it with authority again. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. One of the things I've often said, one of the little jokes behind the scenes, I'll bring it out, okay, as I always say, there's always money for vision. It's always money for vision. Why? Because Jesus said, man, I'm going to be with you for the, for the people and for the church that's serious about fulfilling the commissioning of Christ. All authority. We've got the backing of the king of kings, yes? And if we ever take our mind off the commissioning that God has given us to bring heaven to earth through the kingdom of God coming to earth, which is through the presenting of the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, we lose our focus and we lose, I think, the help of our Savior. And so Jesus bookends this with his kingdom authority. I keep going backwards because I'm, I'm reading in Hebrew today. All right, here we go. Number five. This is where I get excited. I actually wrote the wrong verse down. Not the wrong verse. I wish I'd taken Revelation 5, but we'll go with Revelation 7. Jesus' kingdom will be victorious. Listen, we can stop hand-wringing as Christians. Man, I hope the kingdom spreads. It's going to spread. And the kingdom will be victorious. How do I know? Because when we get a glimpse into heaven, Revelation 7, 9, okay, you could also look at Revelation 5, you'll look a glimpse into heaven, and John, the apostle, says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude. How many are there, by the way? How many in this multitude are in heaven? A lot, right? It's successful, Right, that no one could number from from where, from every tribe, every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne room and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, which is clothed in the righteousness of Christ, with palm branches in their hand, and they're crying out with a loud voice, "Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." In other words, the gospel will be successful, and you get to be a part of it. Isn't that cool? So when you're serving in a ministry, you're doing children's ministry, youth ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, small group ministry and it gets exhausting and you're like man I don't know if I can do it another day let me encourage you you are a part of a victorious kingdom serving God's people and it's a kingdom that will never be shaken isn't that great news so when we pray man your kingdom and come we're a part of it and we get to see it be successful isn't that great gets me so excited I'm a little excited today here we go let's keep going and so how's this thing work we receive the message of the gospel as individuals. It works through the preaching of the gospel through a local church. As a local church, we're a part of spreading the name and fame of Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And when we do that, we're a part of bringing God's kingdom into the hearts of man. And when this happens, the natural overflow of the kingdom is that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so in heaven, God's will is finally and fully carried out. In other words, in heaven, there's no sin. In heaven, there's no disobedience to the word of God. So when we submit to Christ and live according to his word, we're in the process of bringing heaven to earth. And so the focus of our prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done. And so if we pray as we're taught, as Jesus taught us to pray, we, we, can, we pray for the will of God to be done. And we make this really complicated, but I'm going to move quickly, okay? Number one, the will of God is that you would believe in Jesus Christ. A lot of times we make the will of God about jobs and whatever, degree, what degree should I get, you know, on and on the list goes. Listen, the will of God is that you would believe in Jesus. Matthew 6, 4, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up in the last day. The will of God is that you would know God through his Son, Jesus. I'll tell you something, as my kids get older, you know, my kids are in that in-between time of growing from teenagers to young men, my two boys, my daughter's not there yet, but one of the things I harp on with them is Matthew 6, where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. I say this over and over and over to my kids, listen, make Jesus the priority of your passion in your life. And seek his righteousness, by the way. As I get ready to send him to college, right? I'm like, here's what that means. Like, I don't, you're not to indulge in sexual sin. You're not to indulge in drinking and drugs and all the stuff the world's gonna tell you is gonna make you complete. Seek his righteousness. And when you do that, then everything else will take care of itself. You'll figure out what job to take, what degree to get. Like all that for me is a side note to pursuing Christ and knowing God and seeing his kingdom come. Because that's God's will for you, kids. That's God's will for you, church, today. And how do we discern the will of God? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us how to discern in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, your life is an act of worship. In other words, you use your body every day, all day to worship God when you walk in obedience or, you, or you're outside the will of God when you walk in disobedience. So your life, you worship God as much with what you choose to do with your time Friday night at 10 o'clock as what you do on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. There's no distinction. We worship the Lord. And if on Friday night you're walking in unrighteousness and disobedience, then you're not worshiping God. Whether you show up here on Sunday morning, there's a big disconnect in your spiritual act of worship. So how do we discern the will of God? Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By renewing our minds. That by testing, you may be able to discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We discern the will of God when, we, when our minds are saturated with the word of God. If you're here this morning and you're not daily influenced by the word of God, how are you gonna know what the will of God is? What's gonna influence your thinking is the thinking of the world. I, I, I can't stress enough. You have to be in the word of God every single day so that you can discern the will of God, so that when a decision comes in your day, a very practical decision, you'll know what the word of God speaks to that. I was talking to Pastor Joey this week, and I was like, you know, when I was a teenager, and, and I, was just, I was consumed with reading God's word, I, I, just, 
I don't know if it was a spiritual thing or what, but I just had this really unique ability to take the word and then apply it in my thinking to, man, how does this affect my dating life? And how does this affect my, my money? And how does this affect my time? And how does this affect my entertainment? And I just had this ability to read through the Psalms or read through Leviticus and go, oh man, this is how it applies here to everyday life. But if you're not in the word of God, you're never gonna know. And be a regular part of, of corporate worship. I'm always shocked. It shocks me when I'll talk to people like, well, hey, Pastor John, I'm sorry I missed you this Sunday, man. I, I just got back from vacation. Oh, you got back like Sunday afternoon? No, I got back Saturday night. Like you wouldn't use that same excuse for work on Monday. Ah, hey, boss, sorry, I'm not gonna be on Monday. I got back yesterday about three o'clock from vacation. Like it's laughable. And I want to encourage you, the next time you're thinking about skipping corporate worship, I want you to think about, man, would I use this same excuse for school on Monday or work on Monday? Nine times out of ten, the answer is absolutely not. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to say, I want you to be filled with the Word of God so that you'll know the will of God. And by the way, the will of God, we make it super complicated. It's not super complicated. God's will is for us to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4 Ready? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The word sanctification means to grow in holiness. Now the author here, the Apostle Paul, gets very specific. Here's what he says, ready? That you would abstain from sexual immorality. Let me say that again, ready? It's the will of God for you. It's your sanctification, to grow in holiness. Now, now Paul says, let me get specific. That you would abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one would transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Man, I could preach a whole sermon on that, but I told you guys this before. I think the two great sins of American culture and American church culture is greed and sexual immorality. And Paul here makes it plain to us that to be holy and to be more like Christ means sexual purity, sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? God has designed sex to be between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. Any other way is sexual immorality. Sex before marriage, sexual immorality. Flirting with and dating and having sex with someone besides your spouse, sexual immorality. It's very simple. It's the will of God for us, sexual purity. Simplicity of God's will, E, letter E's. You know, we make it really complicated. Here it is, really simple, ready? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Like we, we make it really complicated. Who should I marry? What job should I take? No, the will of God is that you would have an attitude of thanksgiving. That your attitude would be focused on thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing regardless of the circumstances. By the way, let me, let me give you a couple things you don't have to pray about. Ready? I'm going to let you off the hook. There's a couple things you don't have to pray about. You do not have to pray for things outside the will of God. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I've been thinking about maybe leaving my spouse and pursuing divorce. And you've been asking the Lord about that. And you can just stop that prayer. You don't need to pray for that for another second. 
Malachi 2 says God hates divorce. And if you're dating someone and you've been, you've been sexually immoral, you've been impure on your dating relationship, you, you don't have to keep going to God and saying, should I keep dating this person? No, you should break up with that person immediately. Why? Because you're outside the will of God. Take, a, take six months to a year off and determine if it's God's will for you. Some of you, I was shocked by this one. I, heard, I had a couple of responses a couple weeks ago when I preached on giving. and Some people started to pray about tithing. You don't, you don't, I was praying about giving over and above a tithe. You don't have to pray about tithing. It's a command. You can honor the Lord with that. And the list goes on and on in the areas of Scripture that you don't need to pray about your obedience or your disobedience. What you can do is pray and ask God, hey, God, should I t- help me to take your word seriously? And I want us to grow in the discipline of prayer, and I want us to grow in our theology of prayer. I want to share the story, and then I'm going to lead you in prayer here this morning. And I'm going to kind of train, use this as a training ground for kingdom prayers. Um, a couple, I shared this last week with my small group a couple years ago. My wife and I was in seminary, and we were driving to my father-in-law's soccer team. My father-in-law at the time was a professional soccer coach. He coached a team called the Charlotte Eagles, and they were in a playoff game, and we were, her and I were driving to this playoff game, and it was on the weekend. We were super excited, and we're driving up, and my wife's like, hey, why don't you pray for the Eagles, the Charlotte Eagles, to win? And we got in this big theological debate, right? And no prayer happened at that moment. I'm like, no, I'm, I, don't, I don't think God cares if they win, you know? And so we had this big debate, and I ended up not praying, and she was a little bit frustrated at me, and, you know, it didn't go quite as smoothly as we thought to the game. And uh, so we get to the game. It's this awesome game, super close. It, en- it ends in a tie, and they're about to go into overtime, okay? And it's intense, and the crowd's big, and there's fans from both teams there. And so... There's a, we're sitting with a group of Charlotte Eagle fans. It's an away game, but I don't know how many of us there were, probably a couple hundred, but if, you know, whatever. So we're sitting there and we're cheering for the Eagles. And so somebody yells out, let's pray for the Charlotte Eagles to win. And so about 40 or 50 people circle up for prayer, but it's one of these awkward moments where no one's really sure who should lead the prayer, right? And so my mother-in-law says, my son-in-law's in seminary. He can lead us in prayer. And so all these Eagle fans now look at me. <laughs> to which then my wife responds, he don't think we should pray for them to win. That's when it got really weird, right? And at that moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. Yes, I do. I'm not going to get stoned here, you know. And so this lady then, you know, kind of, a, maybe I'm wrong, but as she looked at me with disgust, probably came from a more charismatic background, which is fine, you know, but she takes over the prayer and she just goes, nah, you know, she starts to pray and she literally is praying for 10,000 angels to come to the foot of every soccer player. That's what she prayed. I'm like, Jesus didn't even call 10,000 angels to be taken off the cross. Like, really? You know, and so, and I shared that story to say, here was the two extremes of the prayer riverbanks, right? Sean did not see God as daddy. He saw God only as in heaven and certainly we're not gonna pray for a soccer game. And she saw God as so much like daddy, she's calling angels down on the feet of the soccer players, right? It's somewhere in between that, correct? And I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do at that moment. But I tell you that to say, I now pray for the Eagles to win, okay? So, no, I don't, I'm just kidding. But I share that story to say, man, these are the riverbanks. I, I saw God as not caring about a soccer game, and this other lady saw God as father, and 
could pray for angels to come and help the team win. Those are the riverbanks of our God, but now I want you to focus on the direction of your prayers. And the direction of your prayers is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here we go. I want everybody to bow your head. I want everybody to close your eyes, and I'm going to lead you in prayer. Here's what I mean by that. I want to give you the, we've given you the riverbanks. I want to give you the direction, and I want you to pray silently to the Lord about three specific things. Number one, God's kingdom come. I built the case this morning. That's about the gospel going forward in the hearts of man. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to pray silently for someone you know who doesn't know Christ. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit might convert them and lead them to repentance and faith in Jesus. Pray for that this morning. Jesus taught us to pray, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's an area of your life, there's an area in my life that you're struggling with sin. It's a particular sin, and I want you to pray and ask God to help you in trusting His Word, His Spirit, and ask the Lord to help you to find Christian community where you can share your struggle and help you in this battle to overcome this particular sin. Pray for God's will to be done right now. God's will is for us to give thanks and to rejoice regardless of the circumstances. Take a moment this morning and give thanks and praise to God for his blessings to you. When you pray, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.